Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage, a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And we are continuing our series on the Civil War and Civil War battles, Civil War personalities, both from the perspective of the Union and also the Confederacy. So we are looking at and we looked at the background of one of the most underrated, denigrated generals and Americans in the history of our country, Ulysses S. Grant. And we looked at why, what gave him the reputation that was absolutely false, how he was able to deal with that reputation, and then only within the past several years has a lot of historians began to look at, in actuality, the life and personality of Ulysses S. Grant and elevate Grant to one of the greatest generals in American history. And that is probably unfamiliar with most Americans because most Americans have the idea that Grant was not a good general, that he he was drunk most of the time, that he uses men as cannon fodder. And, you know, those are the things that we see. And that is absolutely the wrong character of Ulysses as Grant. And actually, we just in the last year, uh, Brett Baer from Fox News wrote a book on Ulysses as Grant, and it's called To Rescue the Republic. And I highly recommend that book because uh, Brett Baer spent a lot of time in that book talking about the presidency of Ulysses as Grant, as well as what he did as one of the, one of the, not the best Union general who ultimately was able to defeat the Army of Northern Virginia, which ultimately led to the end of the war. And in direct correlation, how Ulysses S. Grant and his success in the East was able to have President Lincoln reelected in 1864. So it's called To Rescue the Republic by Brett Baer, and it's been out probably five or six months at this point. It's a good read. Uh, it's an easy read. He does not get back into the weeds and for the average person can't understand what he's writing or talking about. But it will give you a very clear and most importantly, a very accurate picture of Ulysses S. Grant as a general and as a person. So we're going to pick it back up where, you know, Grant is in the Illinois militia. And he's asking to be recommissioned into the regular United States Army. A General McClellan refuses to recommission him because he did not like Grant when they were at West Point together. Henry Halleck did not. He was our, again, what we would consider probably our Secretary of State. He did not like Ulysses S. Grant. So Henry Halleck would spread a tremendous amount of rumors about Ulysses S. Grant and his personality and his character, which were absolutely all false, to hold Grant back. So as Grant, he is in the Illinois militia as a non-commissioned officer in the regular United States Army. He is fighting and he helps control Kentucky, which was very important for the Union because we needed, the Union needed to have Kentucky as a a neutral state for security reasons. And then we begin to see the immersion of Ulysses S. Grant into the regular United States Army. But as we do that, we we need to understand the 
what we when General Winfield Scott, who was our commanding officer, he came up with a plan called the Anaconda plan. Anacondas will kill their prey by strangling them to death. So Winfield Scott's plan was to strangle the Confederacy. So his plan was to blockade the east coast of the United States, the Atlantic Ocean, with ships, to blockade the Gulf of Mexico with ships so the Confederacy could not get anything out of the port of New Orleans or get anything into the Confederacy through the port of New Orleans. And then the other part was to control the Mississippi River so the Confederacy could not branch itself west of the Mississippi River, could not get supplies up or down the Mississippi River, and then squeeze the Confederacy to death by punching it in the in the east. So we need to remember that the Anaconda Plan had would only work if we can control the Mississippi River. The Union can control the Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf of Mexico with their tremendous amount of ships. The Confederacy had very few ships. The Union needed to control the Mississippi River for the Anaconda Plan to work. And so oftentimes we study the Civil War with the major battles of the East and overlook the importance of the Western theater. So I want you I want to remind you and think of this that the the war was primarily fought in the East, but it was won in the West. And it was won in the West because of no other than Ulysses S. Grant and what Grant was able to do along the Mississippi River and controlling the Mississippi River. So we so now we're gonna see that as important as railroad junctions were, and that's why we see so many battles around railroad junctions for supply routes, either for men, military supplies, food, medical equipment, military equipment. In the West, it was very important to control the Mississippi River. And to control the Mississippi, you need to control the tributaries or the largest, larger rivers flowing into the Mississippi. So up on the northern so side, the Cumberland River and the Tennessee River, which flow into the Mississippi River, the Confederates had two forts there, Fort Henry and Fort Donelson. And it was very important for a Union army or Union armies to control these two forts so they can control the Tennessee River, they can control the Cumberland River, and then ultimately begin to work their way down from the down the Mississippi River. And this is where we see this is where we see Ulysses S. Grant and the brilliance of Ulysses S. Grant, because this is the first time in American history that the army worked with the Navy on a systematic attack of a fort or uh, or a position. So we have the Navy under Flag Officer Andrew Foote working hand-in-hand in hand with Ulysses S. Grant's infantry troops to take these forts, of which Fort Henry Falls and then ultimately Fort Donaldson Falls along the Cumberson River to Ulysses S. Grant as he surrounds these two forts. And Fort Donaldson is the second fort that that succumbs to Ulysses S. Grant. And this is where we see the name unconditional surrender come into being. When Simon Boulevard Buckner, who was the officer at Fort Donaldson, wants to surrender the fort, Grant sends word to, to Buckner that he will only accept the terms of unconditional surrender. 
Grant realizes that to win this war, you must totally annihilate the enemy and have an unconditional surrender. So this is where we looked at in the first show, Grant's initials now being U.S. Grant. Now the press starts saying that U.S. stands for unconditional surrender grant at this point. And General Grant buys right into it. He ties right into it. And now we see from the press that the Union has a hero, General Ulysses S. Grant, or unconditional surrender grant, or sometimes he even said, well, it stands for Uncle Sam Grant, whatever. This is where we see this. So when Grant would have a Confederate army surrender or a fort surrender, he would always say it has to be unconditional surrender at this point. And yes, if you're thinking of this, Simon Boulevard Buckner is the distant relative of the former Ameri- the major league player, Bill Buckner, of Unfortunately, the infamous Red Sox during, I believe it was the 1986 World Series where the Mets won. So as we, as Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson on the Tennessee River and the Cumberland River, if you can picture in your mind beginning to travel south, uh, Grant comes down to a place called Shiloh. And Shiloh is Grant needing to control that part of the river. This is where we see a major battle. And this is where the, some of you might know, this is where we see the hornet's nest and what's going on there and the Confederate troops under Sidney Albert Johnston. And on the first day of this battle, Grant's men are pushed all the way back to the Pittsburgh landing. And it looks very much like on the second day of this battle that Grant is going to lose this battle. Well, Grant sends word all the way up to Nashville, where Don Carlos Buell has taken Nashville without a shot. And I'm saying this because, remember, Grant is beginning to control the Western Theater. And it's important to take control of the Western Theater, to control the Mississippi and these rivers. And Nashville was so important to take under Don Carlos Buell because that is the first Confederate state capital to fall to a Union army. And when Nashville sailed to Don Carlos Buell, that city never was regained by any Confederate troops. So Nashville was under Union control for the rest of the war. But Don Carlos Buell was able to get troops down from Nashville to help reman Grant's army there. And the second day of the battle, Grant, Grant and Don Carlos Buell are able to push the Confederate army off the field, thus now controlling Pittsburgh Landing, now controlling another part of the river as they begin to move south. For the Confederacy, on the first day, Albert Sidney Johnston is wounded in the leg. He doesn't realize that it is a, he, it was, his wound was hit by a major artery and actually Albert Sidney Johnston bleeds out and he dies. And then the, the Confederate army out there is uh, is now commanding by a raging Cajun um, out there. So we're going to look at what happened there. And that is Pierre Gaston Beauregard, General Beauregard, who was a very good general, but he's not Albert Sidney Johnston. That takes us down, if, you, if you're looking at a map, that takes us down to Corinth. Uh, and Corinth then also falls to Grant's army on May 30th, and Grant begins to migrate south. So in your mind, he's now coming down the Mississippi River, and Grant puts a siege on Vicksburg. And the Confederacy 
called Vicksburg the Gibraltar of the West. And we know what Gibraltar is over in the Mediterranean, where it, it was known that it could never be conquered. The Confederacy did not believe that Vicksburg could be ever taken because it juts out into the Mississippi River and you can't attack it from the river and take it. So what General Grant does is he slides on the western side of the Mississippi, he slides about 100 miles south of Vicksburg, crosses the Mississippi River to the east, comes up to the east or the eastern side of Vicksburg, and he actually puts a siege on Vicksburg from the land, not from the Mississippi River. And that's where we see the battles at Champions Hill. Sherman is then sent to the north uh, of Vicksburg. Uh, this is where we see the fall of Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi is captured, and Grant puts a siege on Vicksburg. And it's about a six-week siege. The, the Confederate Army in Vicksburg and the civilians in Vicksburg are literally, they're being choked to death. They're being starved to death with this siege. They can't get out of Vicksburg on the Mississippi River because there are Union uh, ships there under Andrew Foote. Grant has now surrounded Vicksburg on the land from the north, particularly with uh, General Sherman. And so there is a six-week siege put on Vicksburg and people, and then the shelling of Vicksburg every day by Grant's army to get Vicksburg to finally surrender and the Confederate army there. July 4th, 1863, Vicksburg finally surrenders. The Confederate army finally surrenders Vicksburg to the army commanded by Ulysses S. Grant. And there are very few articles in any Union newspapers because of the fall of Vicksburg. Because remember the day before, the Battle of Gettysburg ends on July 3rd. So the big articles in the newspapers, the headlines are are Gettysburg victory, and down in the corner, Vicksburg Falls. Vicksburg, listeners, is the turning point of the Civil War. When Vicksburg finally surrenders, the Union Army, the Union armies under the command now of General Ulysses S. Grant, are now going to fully control the Mississippi and now control all the western part of the, of the war. And so now the Anaconda Plan has been fully put in place. The Confederacy is going to be choked to death. And it's going to be at least, well, it's going to be two more years before the war plays itself out. But the West is won. And the Western part of the Anaconda Plan is, is works because of the success of General Ulysses S. Grant. Ironically, because we are in all the Philadelphia area, a Philadelphian who joined the Confederate Army was John Pemberton. John Pemberton is the control of the Confederate Army in Vicksburg. He is a Philadelphian by birth. Uh, he marries a Virginian. He marries a woman from Virginia. And whether it's under her influence or someone else's influence, John Pemberton joins the Confederate Confederacy. He now is a controlling Confederate army, and he is a northerner by birth. He has now surrendered his army to Ulysses S. Grant. And John Pemberton's career as a military officer is not one that you would uh, really want to, to brag about or to, to um, 
see a lot of to highlights about. But it's interesting that Pemberton was a Philadelphian. He was a northerner by birth. He surrenders his army and that, that army is now prisoners of war for the rest of the war. Grant now controls the Mississippi River. So let's move back to the east. The war in the east is not going well. In two years, Robert E. Lee has won every battle against the armies in the east. Uh, President Lincoln has gone through several commanding officers of the different Union armies, begging the Union armies in the east to fight you, to Robert, General Robert E. Lee in the northern, uh, the, the Army of Northern Virginia. And finally, finally, General George Meade, who is now the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac, takes on Robert E. Lee at Gettysburg. General Meade, also a Philadelphian, was only the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac for three or four days before Gettysburg. So General Meade defeats Robert E. Lee at Gettysburg, the first Confederate defeat, and the first Union Army general's victory was General George Meade at Gettysburg. Grant General Lee withdraws. He goes back down into Virginia, and President Lincoln realizes that he's got to bring somebody into the East who is going to fight Robert E. Lee, and that is how General Grant's General Grant gets to the East after several months. President Lincoln brings General Ulysses S. Grant, unconditional surrender grant to the East. And throughout the war, President Lincoln is, is very much involved in the war. He has battle maps on his desk. He has, uh, he looks a lot of his battle, na- battle maps on his desk. He is planning actually some of the battles. And uh, when he brings General Grant to the East to be the commanding officer of every Union army in the whole war, Secretary Edmund Stanton comes into the president's office and he says, uh, President Lincoln, where are all your battle maps? Because the, the desk was now bare. Where are all your battle maps? And President Lincoln said, I don't need these battle maps any longer. General Grant is coming east. I don't need these battle maps any longer. And I love that quote. General Grant is coming east. So we see when President Lincoln brings General Grant to the east, he's very confident of what he can do. So we see what Grant did at Chattanooga and how he was able to break the siege of Chattanooga. And then General Grant, who was now commanding every Union army. So remember, if you if you remember, General McClellan didn't believe this Ulysses S. Grant would be a good officer, would be a good leader. Henry Halleck did not like him, so he denigrated his character. And we're two years, a little over two years into the war. General Grant has major success in the West. President Lincoln now brings him to the East, makes him the commanding officer of all, all the Union armies. So now this man, General Grant, is now over, over five. 150,000 men in all the Union armies. In March of 1864, uh, Grant is promoted to lieutenant general, and he has been he's given command over all all the Union armies. In March of 1864, he is the first pre- first person to receive this rank since George Washington, which is amazing to think of what a lot of the early part of the war, where so many Union officers, Union generals did not like Grant, did not believe he could be successful. Grant is now elevated to be the commanding general over all the Union armies, over 550,000 men, and he now holds the same rank as General Washington held during the American Revolution. 
Grant, in his wisdom, continues to keep General Meade as a commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac. General Grant works hand-in-hand with General Meade, and they work together. Actually, Meade offered his resignation when Grant comes east. Grant Grant refused it because he he knows the kind of officer that General Meade was, and they work hand-in-hand. And so what happens is Grant comes up with a plan that he's going to fight Robert E. Lee, the Army of Northern Virginia, and he's going to push him south and he's going to push him south and Grant is going to fight battle after battle after battle to wear down Robert E. Lee's army, to wear Robert E. Robert e. Lee's armies out, to <clears throat> have him run out of supplies and ultimately to force Lee into an unconditional surrender. So Grant devised a plan where several different Union armies will fight the other Confederate armies throughout the South. Grant and Meade are going to continue to hit Lee, slide his army south all the way down because all the way down to Richmond because Grant knows that Lee has to to protect Richmond, which gets us battle after battle, the wilderness, uh, North Anna, Spotsylvania. We get all and other, other battles all the way down to where uh, Grant puts a siege on Lee's army at Petersburg. Lee must protect Petersburg because that's the railroad route going into Richmond. After nine months of siege, Grant is able to break through at Petersburg. Robert E. Lee must withdraw his army to the west as it is now only about 18,000. The men are starving. They have no supplies. Uh, Lee cannot protect Richmond any longer. So the Confederate army withdraws from Richmond, begins to burn Richmond down. When Grant sends army into Richmond, the Union army actually puts the fires out in Richmond. Grant chases Lee west. General Sherman is coming up from the south. Lee is being cornered. And I know it's very broad, but this is where Lee decides to surrender his army at Appomattox. So when Lee is cornered at Appomattox... President Lincoln gives Grant the authority to write the surrender at Appomattox. So what Grant does, what Grant does is he gives a pardon to every Confederate soldier. Every Confederate soldier is able to keep their handguns and their private baggage. They can keep their own horse if they own it. And they are all given three days rations. And Grant says to General Lee, your men are pardoned. Send them home. Your men are all pardoned. Send them home. General Grant, General Lee, General Lee is astounded at the graciousness of General Grant. And he sa- and General Lee says, I not only surrender my army to General Grant, but I also surrender to the graciousness of General Grant and President Abraham Lincoln. And really, this is where we begin to see the early stages of trying to heal the wounds of the nation. Grant respected Lee. He respected his officers. He respected his military. And so when Robert E. Lee's army surrendered at Appomattox, Grant gave them full, full pardons and full respect at this point. And then a few months later, the war is the other Confederate armies eventually surrender and the war is over at this point. So we look at we look at General Grant very broadly and see exactly what he was able to do in the war and how he was able to help preserve the Union and to keep keep our country as a Union with his success as a military officer and then what he was able to do. So let me let me again remind you. 
when you look and you study, when you read, get as many sources as you can, read as much as you can, understand the background of the person's person writing, understand what their sources are. Do not make come up with an, an idea or a thought because one person wrote it or said it. Accumulate as much as you can, put as much into it. And General Grant is the person who is probably the poster child for misunderstanding because of who he was and actually what he was in compared to what people think or what they heard about General Grant. Truly, he was a great general, one of the great generals in American history, and he did a tremendous amount to help with Reconstruction and with civil rights and trying to and outlawed the Ku Klux Klan and prosecuted them during his presidency. So look at Grant, read books on Grant, see see this incredible person who was able to do in his civilian life, his military life, and then as, as president of the two terms as president of the United States. So this is 1180 AM WFYL, working for your liberty.